Church Sermon Podcast. We'd love for you to join us in person. Over the summer, we'll be gathering at the Little Town Community Center, just down the road from Lawford Middle School. We hope to see you soon. I don't know about you, but you've probably heard it said, at least I've heard it said once, in, once here and there, that if you become a Christian, your life would be awesome, that everything would be great. It is... Uh, it washes your troubles away, you know, and that you should become a Christian because there's a lot of benefit to it. Has anyone heard anything like that before? No? Eh? Yeah? Okay, maybe you heard the opposite side of it, that if you become a Christian, your life is going to be so hard. It's going to bring trouble. It's going to bring trial. It's going to bring a lot of what we call sanctification, which is hard. Which is hard. It means that you're not going to be able to do a lot of what you wanted to do in life. Have, have you heard that before? You know that, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but one of the greatest reasons why people reject Christ or Christianity, just speaking as in uh, living a life that's according to the Bible, do you know what the biggest reason for people to not do that is, even though things make sense to them? Sexuality. They feel like they can't do the things that they want to do anymore, all right? This is interesting because... Um, a lot of people hear that it's either really good and everything is perfect after you become a Christian, which is not necessarily true. You know that, right? And so if people go in with that perception, they're very disappointed. Wouldn't you agree? Because living a Christian life is not like wash away your troubles and there's nothing to worry about anymore. But it's also not all trial and tribulation and you can't have fun anymore and you can't enjoy life. It's not that either. If you're truly living a Christian life, there's this balance. There's this balance that needs to be kind of lived. Why? Because referring back to 2 John, there's truth, there's love, and they go together, right? And if you do one or the other, then you have this conflict and it kind of makes living a Christian life or a godly life very difficult. And so John carries this idea over to 3 John. But what's interesting is that he's kind of flipping it over. I don't know if you remember, but last week in 2 John, uh, he, he warned us about false teachers. Do you remember that part? He said, hey, beware of false teachers, the people who come and teach different things that are not true. Careful with that. Don't take those people in. Don't allow those people to take to the pulpit and teach these, these uh, lies. This is kind of the opposite. We'll see that in this letter. He says, hey, don't reject the brothers. <laughs> okay? They're, don't assume that everybody is a false teacher either. Okay? Just because you have a disagreement with someone, that doesn't mean that you knock them out of the room. We're going to have disagreements. Wouldn't you agree? But here's the thing that unites us is the scriptures. It's the truth. It's the gospel. And so today, as we look into John or third John, we're going to look at two different, uh, I'm going to say two different life marks or two different, um, uh, how, how do I put this? Two different people. One who m is taking trouble for the gospel and the other one who's making trouble for the gospel. All right. Again, two contrasts. And so that's the title of today. Taking or making trouble for the gospel. Now, just self-evaluate. All right. Really quick. Hmm. I wonder which one I am. Someone who makes trouble or takes trouble. What does it mean to take trouble? That means that you endure the sufferings that comes with living a godly life. Right. Um, making trouble 
uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, making trouble is that you make it hard for people to, um, uh, to even come to the gospel, right? Brother, you're welcome to hang out. We also have coffee if someone wants to help him out. Uh, we have coffee for him too. So, <clears throat> so here's, here's what I want to look at. I want to read this passage in 3 John, and then we'll dissect it even more. But um, as, we, as we read this, just note the one who's taking trouble for the gospel and, com- and compare to the one who's taking trouble for the gospel. Did I say that correctly? Taking and making trouble. Okay. <laughs> 3 John, here's what it says. <clears throat> it says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. I have written something to the the church But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with with, with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, we also add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. And we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Love John. <laughs> All right. So interesting here, um, similar to that first letter, this one also you could see that it's kind of written to the church, but it's addressed very personally. It's addressed to someone that he refers to as beloved. In other translation that, that says dear friend. Okay. This is someone that John cherish, cherishes, knows him personally, and he really appreciates like you do a friend. You know, you care for that friend. You love that friend. You uh, value that friend. This is the kind of relationship that John has with this guy named Gaius. All right. So I don't know um, about you, but I'm not sure what your story is. If you've come to Christ, what led you there? What were those things that kept you from going there? Perhaps it was past experiences. Perhaps it was uh, um, just questions or I don't know what it is. Um, But like for me personally, I would say that I was pretty agnostic in that I did believe that there was a God. There's no doubt for me that there is a God, but I wasn't very sure as to why the Christian God had to be the God. That was my personal experience, okay? And so I went into this, um, uh, this time of just investigation, and so I did tinker with, and what I mean by tinker is I just explored it. I want to learn more about 
uh, different religions like Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. I looked into Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, I, there was a lot of things that I thought, oh, these are kind of cool characteristics of these religions. But to be honest with you, some of them just felt really weird to me. Like when I went to a Buddhist temple, that felt really weird to me. You know, I just felt like this doesn't feel right. <laughs> you know, when um, I, I, I went to Salt Lake City, uh, there is a town named Provo there. And I stayed with a family for a week just to kind of learn a little bit about their culture and their life. And this Mormon f family was absolutely amazing. They were beautiful. They were caring. They were so welcoming and hospitable. Right. Um, the only thing that I had a hard time with is that they were exclusive to the Book of Mormon. And that made me wonder, like, what kind of Christians are these if they don't really read their Bibles? That was my personal take, according to my experience with this family. And then so I, I kept investigating. I looked at Islam. I tried to read the Quran. I had a hard time with that. It just, there's something wrong with that in my pers personal opinion, and my heart was stirred with that, you know. Nevertheless, I gave them the benefit of the doubt, and I realized, okay, yeah, everyone thinks they're right. <laughs> All right, everyone thinks they're right, so what's the difference here? And the thing that did it for me, me personally, was that everybody believed in a Jesus or in a God that wasn't a deity, per se, you know, um, the, the Christian Jesus is God and is qualified to be an atone, atoning sacrifice. No one else claimed that. And the other thing is that the Christian Jesus rose again. And no one else claims that their God has been risen again, you know. And so the Church of Latter-day Saints was close for me. It was like, ah, except for they identified the Jesus very differently. And so I had more questions there. But nevertheless... It was, a, it was an exploration for me, like asking questions and discovering. And then I realized, wow, this Jesus of the Bible is amazing. It's incredible. People don't know him because we hear so many things from the people that we know and we come up with our own conclusions. And so I urge you, don't just take my word for it. Read your Bible. Don't just take your mom and dad's word for it. Read your Bible and you'll find out that your mom and dad is probably like really on point or not. And it's important to do that because sometimes that's all we do. We, we become a cultural believer in the sense that we just believe what we've been taught and we don't know why. And so we can't defend our faith, right? But when we know the truth, we have answers to questions. And so this is, this is really what the disciples and the apostles are doing is they're trying to train people up to know the truth, but not just get overwhelmed with it to the point where they're just very like, I point my finger at you and tell you you're all bad according to the word of God. No, but to also express love, right? Like this is the one thing that my Mormon friends showed me was love. I was like amazed by their love and their kindness towards, towards me. And, and it made me, it made me want to be with them. It really did. But, but they didn't have answers to all of my questions, you know? Uh, and so likewise, we need to be well-equipped, well-prepared, and we need to exercise that love factor. And so this is where John kind of gets really, really, um, in your face. All right. Because there's two types of people, as I mentioned, one who take trouble, one who make trouble. Now, Christianity, have you heard that Christianity is a bed of roses? Yes or no? It sure is, but with thorns and all, 
All right. <laughs> there's a lot of beautiful things about Christianity and there's a lot of things that are just difficult and it's hard. Why? Because life is difficult for anybody, whether you're a believer or not. Life is difficult. And one of the things that I've been asked before, and I don't know if you've been asked, is why do you go through all the trouble of, for being a Christian? You know, I wake up early on Sundays. I don't I, I could totally choose not to. I come here, I help set up. I'm doing a service. I prepare a sermon. Why do you go through all that trouble, Brandon? Why do you go through all that trouble of being here? You could be home watching TV or something. Why do you go through all that trouble? This is a very, very good question to ask. And a lot of people don't understand this. I believe that there are two basic answers to this question. Why go through all the trouble? One, you go through all the trouble for God and his gospel. Or two, you go through all the trouble for yourself. This is if you go for to through the trouble. You do it either for God and his gospel or you do it for yourself. All right. And trust me, I had to gut check myself very closely when I went through this. It was a really good, challenging portion of scripture. And so if you're going through this or going through all the trouble for the gospel and for God, that's because you probably understand the truth of the scriptures. You understand the love that Jesus has expressed to you. You know, and you're willing to give yourself your resources and your time because what you have experienced is beautiful and you want the same for others. That's if you're doing it for God and the gospel, right? If you're doing it for yourself, that's part, probably because you're selfish and you're probably fueled by, self, uh, by, uh, by ambition or, or directed by self-interest. And I know a lot of spiritual leaders who are very interested in themselves. Have you not noticed that we live in a very narcissistic world? Everything is about me, me, me. Social media is all about you. It's how you market yourself, how you promote yourself, and how you can have people think of you. Okay? And so likewise, there's a lot of leaders who go into the ministry because they feel like they can become a public icon. And that has become a very popular word, right? And so this is uh, not a modern issue, as we can see. <laughs> this has been written thousands of years ago, and it was an issue then. So let's break it back down. And as we do, the first thing I want to look at is um, a life that is committed to taking trouble for the gospel, okay? And this is Gaius. It's important. So let's look at Gaius, the guy who is willing to put it all in and take the trouble, take the heat for the sake of the gospel. It says this, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now, we know who the elder is. That's John. We talked about him last week a little bit. We cleared this up. The beloved Gaius, this is a dear friend. He says, whom I love in truth. This is I love in Jesus. I love him because we are part of the same family, right? We believe the same thing. We've been saved by the same Savior. It says, I pray that, you go, that, that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Well, what does that mean? He's saying that his do, he's doing well spiritually. Gaius is spiritually healthy, and he's hoping and praying that he's also physically healthy because he's done, doing such a great job. It's like, I, I, you know, like when you, you know someone who's of great value, you don't want them to get sick. You know what I mean? It's like a bad news when someone gets sick who's very important to you. It's like, <gasps> Like mom gets sick or dad gets sick, you know, it, it, it breaks your heart. So this is the kind of um, endearment that John has for Gaius because he is spiritually healthy. It's going well with his soul, it says in verse 2. Verse 3, it says, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. This is what he's saying. 
other people are talking about you. Everyone who comes in your proxim proximity to you have really good things to say about you. And I rejoice in that. I'm grateful about that. Now, let's, let's kind of ask ourselves this question. Do people feel grateful to encounter us or to have an encounter with us or to be with us? Or are you the kind of people who pushes people, who turns people away? You know, um, just think about it. Am I someone who probably would have a good reputation or am I someone who wouldn't have a good reputation? And we're talking about spiritual matters too. So like for the sake of the kingdom of God, are you hospitable or are you eh, cold shoulder? You know, this is a good question to ask us, but this guy is living in a way where people are commending him um, and, and his actions towards the other, other believers. And it says um, that he's walking in the truth. That means that he's actually abiding to the word and the teachings of Jesus Christ and the apostles. That means that regardless of life circumstances, he's being faithful. He's being faithful. He's not being progressive in his, in his believing. He's not being um, skewed left or right. He's being faithful to the word of God and his commands and his, and his will. And so this is what he's saying here. And then it says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Who are my children? Does Paul have, or does John have kids? No. My children pretty much are the people that he has discipled. So it's likely that Gaius was discipled by John, all right? And he's, he's just like a spiritual child. And he's, he's glad to see that the one whom he's, he's trained up is continuing to walk in the truth. And that is my hope for every single one of you guys. That you guys continue to walk in truth, whether I'm here or not. I have a Wednesday night discipleship group, and I love that group. I love the conversations that we have there. And my hope and desire is that each one of these people who are in my group would go and speak of these truths as well. Uh, re again, it doesn't start and end with the apostle or the teacher. It has to keep going on. And Gaius is a good example of that person, of that, yeah, that person who walks in the truth. Now, let's look at three things about Gaius. There's three things that mark, that mark his life as someone who's taking trouble for the gospel, okay? And, and I want to show you these things. The first thing um, that marks him for taking trouble for the gospel is, one... He, I want to see who he loved, second, why he loved them, and third, how he loved them. See, because when you have love in the mix and when you actually care about people, you're willing to take whatever it, whatever it takes, <laughs> whatever trouble it takes. But let's find out who he loved, why he loved them, and how he loved them. Let's read in, in verse 5. Beloved, or dear friend, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. This is who he's loving, fellow believers. They're referred to as brothers or sisters. These are people who are laboring for the sake of Christ. Now, remember, back in the day, you couldn't book a cruise. Remember that? You couldn't also book a hotel. <laughs> you couldn't go to the um, Expedia.com or Hotwire to book a Holiday Inn, a Hyatt, or a whatever. Okay? You couldn't do that. You depended on each other's hospitability. And so this is Gaius who really cared for these people, these fellow believers. He understood that there were other, people's on, other people on mission for Christ. And so he was faithful in his efforts for these particular people. And it says strangers as they are. So even though he didn't know them personally, he knew that they were out for the work of the gospel. And so he was faithful to them, whether they were strangers or not. Did you know that brothers can become strangers. Did you know that? 
And did you know that strangers can become brothers? It's interesting how that works. And see, this is the power of the gospel is that it unites people. So even though we do have differences of, in opinion, there's one common denominator there, and that's the gospel. And that unites us. And so when I look around this room, I feel like these are my brothers and sisters. And we're united by the gospel. And you may have different political opinions. You may have different football team preferences. You may have different color favorites, you know, and, and that's okay. That, that's just a minor compared to the gospel and that's what unites unites us and so he is pouring himself out for these people strangers but yet united right and it says they testify of his love of your love before the church so again they have great things to say about Gaius and then he says you will do well to send them on their journey in other words you will do well to continue to equip them and send them, give them the resources that they need to, for them to be able to continue the mission that they've been called to. It says, in a manner worthy of God. They're equipped in truth. Verse 7 says, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. And that's why he loves them. For the sake of the name. That's Jesus. That's it. Gaius is not gaining anything from this other than he gets to see the kingdom of God expanded. All right? He loved these brothers. He loved these guys who are going out for the cause of Christ. And he loved them because of Jesus Christ. Because Gaius has experienced this phenomenal change in his life. And he wants others to, to experience it as well. And so he's going to do whatever to equip these people for the sake of the name. It says, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. What does that mean? That means all the financial resources. He doesn't want it to come from the people that he's ministering to. All right. He wants it to come from fellow believers so that when they go and minister to people, they don't think that they're buying these services. All right. It's not like, you know, like when we do um, uh, activities here in the park, we want to do an activity that's free to the community. Otherwise, what kind of what kind of gesture or what kind of testimony is it? Yeah, we have popsicles for you. They're five dollars each. Oh, it kind of puts them down. Not everyone can swing that, you know. Not everyone wants to go and just spend money. But when you give something from the body to those whom you're trying to love and reach and just express God's love to, you know, it matters where those resources come from. And so this is what he's doing. He's not trying to take from the ones he's pouring into. And so um, let's look at how he loved them then. And then it says that one, he didn't take, you know, um, uh, uh, from them. He, he accepted them. And it says in verse eight, therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So they came in and support. That's the key word. What does that mean? That means whatever they needed, he equipped them with it. Was it food? Was it shelter? Was it a, a place to stay for a while? Whatever you need. Was it some money? Whatever you need. Let's support the people who are out to do the work of God. This is how he loved them and he equipped them. And I'm sure that he encouraged them the way that the church encouraged Paul when he was going around the different churches that, they were, being, that were being established. Okay? Do you see that? This is a man who's taking trouble. Now, how is Gaius benefiting from such a thing? You know, it's, you know, it's a hardship to have a person in your house and to host the people in your house. That's, that's not that easy. You know, even when your parents or relatives come over, it's like, it's work. You have to kind of, it's a little outpouring, right? You have to prepare for it. You have to make sure that they're feeling welcomed. And some, some people are really good at hospitality and some people are not. You know, but Gaius is not 
getting something. He's, he's taking this trouble, if you want to call it that, for the sake of these people whom he loved in sharing the gospel. And that's the main, main purpose. He's not creating problems. He's absorbing it so that everything goes smoothly, right? And so that people can keep going with the mission. Okay, so the next thing I want to look at, look at is this life that is making trouble for the gospel. Okay, we have one who's taking trouble for the gospel. Let's look at this guy who's making trouble for the gospel. And we'll start um, uh, in verse 9. It says this. It says, I have written something to the church about Diotrephes. Okay, this means that there's another letter somewhere that didn't survive because we don't have like two and a half John or whatever, or fourth John. But there's a letter that was written to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Okay, let's talk about this Diotrephes. What's the problem with Diotrephes? He likes to put himself first. Okay, John sent him a letter, and Diotrephes apparently rejected it. He didn't reply. He didn't respond to it. He didn't even act according to it. He completely dismissed the authority of the, the, of the apostles and of Jesus, you know, and instead is putting himself first. What does that mean? That means that his comfort probably matters more than the kingdom of God. That means that his wealth, his riches, his estate, his property, his image, you know, is more important to him than the work of the mission of, of, of going and make disciples of all nations. Do you see that? All right. And he does not acknowledge our authority. That is like, okay, let's check this guy. It makes me wonder, why is he even a leader? And by the way, he's a leader. We're talking about these are spiritual leaders of the church. Okay. This letter is written to them. It's written to Gaius in regards to Diotrephes. And then also we'll see that he's talking about Demetrius. All right. So in other words, he's kind of dressing how these people are doing. And so this Diotrephes is putting himself first. He seems to be a very narcissist type of person. Verse 10, it says, So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. This is a loving thing to do for John, is to address the problems and not just let him go undercover. And he says that Diotrephes is talking wicked nonsense against us. I don't know what he's saying. But you have seen it. I'm pretty sure that a lot of you guys have experienced some kind of gossip against leaders of the church or even just against other brothers and sisters of the church, right? This is, doesn't help. And we're talking about evil wickedness. This is not helpful things. These are not loving things, all right? So it's important to be in, in community and, and, and express truth and love to one another. Again, this, this guy, this Diotrephes is not extending grace that way. He says that he's talking wicked nonsense against us. That, that's leadership right there. He's, and, and then not to concern with that, and not, not I'm sorry, and, and not content with that, it says he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. This guy is not only refusing to be hospitable and to equip people to be able to continue the work of the ministry, he's also preventing people from helping the brothers, okay? This is like danger zone, <laughs> all right? If you're not going to be a part of it, bros, don't keep someone else from doing the right thing. And this is the problem that Diotrephes is kind of uh, um, uh, entangled with. All right. Do you see how this guy is making trouble for the gospel? 
Do you see that this guy's not helping at all? This guy's a problem. And I hate to say it that way, but this guy's selfishness is making him a problem. All right? Okay, now, let's finish this passage because, again, we're talking about different leaders. In 11 it says, dear friend, beloved, and this is important, and I would underline this if you can, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whatever does good, or whoever does good is from God, whoever does evil has not seen God. That is interested. And then in regards to Demetrius, he's received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. This is our story. This is our updates. It's true. Everything that we're saying is true. The, 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 the message that we're preaching is true. 13. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Now, I had a question last week about... You know, we talked that there are times where it's better to write and it's better to have a face-to-face. And the question was, was this, this more a modern takeaway because people were illiterate back then? I did a little bit. I gave an answer, but I, get, I did a little bit more research. And just so you know, people were not all that liter- illiterate, especially in the Jewish community, because they were required to go to school and to synagogue. All right. And these leaders were obviously literate because they were exchanging letters. And it was also very common that if someone received a letter and it was addressed to the church, that it would be read out loud, all right? And if you didn't have the ability to read or write, you could hire someone to do it for you. And so writing and, the, and exchanging of letters was very, very common in that time. It was not unusual to come across a letter and not be able to do something with it. So I hope, I hope you have that clarity. But other than that, let's, let's see what we have to learn here. First takeaway. The truth of the gospel unites us despite our differences. We see this here. Gaius considered brothers, these people who he's never met before. There was total strangers, yet brothers. Why? Because we're united by the gospel. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 7, Therefore, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It says there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to, our, to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So each of us has our own gifting, but we still work towards the same mission. We're united by that. We're united by what Christ has done for us. You know, when I was reading this, I remembered one of my favorite shows when I was growing up. I'm probably going to age myself, but I have a feeling that a lot of you guys know what I'm going to talk about. I used to be really into the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. All right. Yeah, yeah. You know what's up, right? Yeah, thank you. This, I was a child, okay? I thought like a child back then. And, and I thought about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and how there was different Power Rangers, and I'm trying to remember all of them, but I think there was like a mammoth, a Tyrannosaurus, a pterodactyl, 
something else. Like if you know Power Rangers, you know what I'm talking about. And each ranger kind of fought together, but then the bad guy got so big where it was time to kind of unite, get together, you know what I mean? And so they united, they got together, and they became something called Megazord. I had to look that up because I forgot that. This is Megazord. I have a picture of Megazord right here, all right? You see, like, all of the different pieces. And you know what's funny? I was looking for something, like, animated, like, what I remembered in my mind. But they actually, like, did it with toys. So this was the actual show. (laughs) But this is kind of like what the church looks like. We all have different giftings. We all do different things. But we come together for Christ and we're a stronger force. And in this show, Megazord always won. All right? Like... Nothing could beat it up when it was together like this. And so I just, I was reminded of this. And this is what John's saying is we need to be united. We need to be together. We need to support one another because when the foot ain't strong enough, the arm needs to rise up and do, do whatever it can to kind of support that. And so likewise, the truth of the gospel is what unites us despite our differences. In fact, our differences become beautiful when we're united for the sake of the gospel. So... I hope that you get a good visual on that one. Now, Psalm 133.1 of David, it says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Isn't that true? When we're together, when we're cooperating, when we're listening to one another, when we're responding in love and in truth, it is beautiful. It is pleasant. That's how friends are, 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 are created. That's how relationships are developed and grown. The second takeaway that I have for you is... We ought to be hospitable and supportive to those who labor for the gospel. We ought to be hospitable. That's not even a question. We ought to be hospitable to those who labor and fight for the gospel. Now, the Bible is saturated with the call to be hospital. This is how I'm confidently telling you that you don't even have a choice. You know, if you're a Christian and if you believe in the mission of the gospel, you ought to be hospital. 1 Peter 4.9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Romans 12.13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Titus 1.8, be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. In Hebrews 13.2, it's interesting, it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels. This is interesting. Like, if we're believers, we need to be able to sustain one another. We need to be able to to show that we care for one another and we're willing to do whatever we can to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Some of them, their giftings will take them places that you can't go. So what can you do to support that? That's the question, right? You are in a place, unique place, and what can we do to support you? We need to be able to have those conversations so that we know how to respond to one another, but nevertheless, we need to be hospitable. We need to be supportive. It's a must. It's what we do, and I hope that you don't feel pressured in that. I hope that that's something that you rejoice in, you know? Like, I hope that that's something that makes you excited. Like, yeah, how can I help you, brother? Like, what do you need? You know, I want to do that, and so far, I want to say this about this particular congregation. I have felt supported like you have no idea. Anytime there's a need, someone just stand, stands up and says, I'll do it. What do you need? I'll back you up. You know, I feel like this is a good ex- example or good expression of what it is to be supportive to one another. I mean, just coming together, you know, having to manage this facility change, you know, everyone's kind of just supportive. It's, it's not a big deal. The what matters is that we're together for this, for the gospel. Amen. And so 
Let's be hospitable and supportive. And the third takeaway that I have is just based on verse 11 there. And it says, uh, and the takeaway is choose carefully whose example you will follow. Now that's a very important one. Highlight that one. Verse 11 says, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Now this is a very important takeaway because whether you know it or not, you are imitating an example. You're doing it. Let me show you this picture here. Might ring a bell. These are your examples. I don't know any of those people, and I don't think they mean anything, but this is just to kind of give you a, 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 a kind of an idea is the time that we consume in social media or movies or even news, like these become our role models. These become our examples. We tend to adopt those opinions many times, you know? And so the word of God says, be careful with who you imitate because you're bound to do it. So be careful with who you choose to imitate. Now, how can you choose to imitate someone? Look at their fruit. Are they bearing good fruit? You know, are they living according to the truth and the love that's displayed in the gospel? If so, that's a good person to imitate. If not, I warn you against them. You know, James 3.1 says this, as, as far as a, a bit of a warning, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with great strictness. What is he saying? That means... Maybe we shouldn't become teachers because there's some stuff in life that we haven't handled. You know, maybe we can be very hypocritical about what we teach. You know, the secular world has a, pro world has a problem with Christians because they consider us very hypocritical. Well, the truth is, we're people and we tend to be hypocritical, right? But if you're going to be teaching, if you're going to be an, an example, a role model, be careful. Maybe you shouldn't be. You need to really check yourself on that. And that's a warning from James, the brother of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11 says this. Paul says this. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, he's confident that the way he walks is according to Christ's word. And so he's confident enough to say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How many of you guys can say, you know what, you should imitate me? No? Even, even I, I'm like, you know, I'm still trying to figure some things out in life. But nevertheless, that's what we should strive for because we never know who's watching us. You know, growing up, I had a little brother. That little brother of mine rubbed the snot out of me sometimes because he would want to dress the way I dressed. He would want to play with the things that I played. He would want to do the things that I do. And sometimes he excelled more at it than I did. But nevertheless, it makes you wonder, why are you watching me so much? Why are you imitating me so much? You see, kids are watching us. Brothers and sisters are watching you. People know, okay, you're a Christian now? What's this look like? They're going to be watching you. And so be careful with how you live your life. Be very, very inclined to the word of God because you are an example. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You represent him now. And so I love the way that Paul just confidently says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so we should strive for that as well. But choose carefully whose example you'll follow because you're bound to follow someone's example. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do you go through all the trouble of being in the church? Why do you go through all the trouble of being a Christian? You could be home right now. You could be kicking it. You could be having an ice cold dad's root beer. Maybe reading some, I don't know what you guys read. I was gonna say the newspaper, but I don't know if anyone gets the newspaper anymore. You know what I mean? Like, why are you here? Why are you going through the trouble of doing it? Is it for God and his gospel? 
or is it for yourself? All right? And so those are very deep questions to ponder. Is it for God? You want something to happen in this community? You want something to happen in your life so that you represent Christ better or so that your relationship with Christ is improved and gets better? Or are you trying to just get something out of this? Are you just trying to hang out because you're bored? Are you here just because there's free coffee? Yes. Yeah? <laughs> and cookies, right? I challenge you guys to think about that. Why are you here? And maybe, maybe the answer is, yeah, I'm here for selfish reasons. Now that I look at things a little bit closer, I'm here for selfish reasons. reasons. Um, that's okay. At least you're here, I suppose. But let's change that around. You know, Christ died for you. And that means a lot, but it doesn't stop there. He wants you to go, therefore, and make disciples, to bear witness of the change that he has made for you or he has done for you. That sacrifice was for all, right? Not just for you. <laughs> and so if you've experienced that, that beauty in being saved, you know that it's worth going through the trouble for it. You know that it's worth taking trouble for it, all right? Don't make trouble for it. Don't try to stop what God's doing in this world, in this life, in this, in this community. Let's do whatever we can. Let's throw our resources in there, our time. This is our purpose, to glorify God and to enjoy Him for eternity. This is why we are created. And so this is a good challenge, and I think 3 John really, really hits it hard right there. And it's like, oh, there's some people in church who aren't helping, you know? And there's some people who are. And so... I just want to close with that. Just think about that. Let's look to Christ. He is the reason why we're here. I know it's cliche. Christmas time, we say he's the reason for the season, right? He's literally the reason for like every season, okay? This is why we're here, because Christ has done a transforming work in our lives, and he has commanded us to go and bear witness of what he has done for us. So it's time to dig deep. It's time to realize, wow, this is how the Lord has changed me. This is what the Lord has changed me or saved me from. Do you even know what he has saved you from? If not, I challenge you to think about that too. And then to go and just out of an outpouring, share that with others. And we do it in truth, meaning that we don't, you know, say what's, what people necessarily want to hear, but what the Lord has to say. And when we do deliver truth, we do do it in love. Because otherwise, ain't nobody want to hear from you. Okay? All right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father, for your word today. We ask that you would just uh, help us, Lord, support one another in the mission that you have called us to, to bear witnesses, Lord Jesus, of what you have done, the work of the cross, the change in our lives, and to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them, Lord. Father, help us do that. Help us, Father, not get so caught up into our preferences and our desires where we want to be the spotlight, where we are trying to gain things out of being part of a Christian community, but that we would be willing to give up things, Lord, for the sake of your word, for the sake of the gospel. So we love that you are constantly speaking to us and that even though it's hard to sometimes be a Christian, there's a lot of beautiful things that come out of it. And so I just ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us in equipping us more and more to reflect you well. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.